This is Leela Viss, and welcome to Key Ideas. Piano teaching doesn't come bundled with ready-made solutions. This podcast highlights some brilliant options for innovative piano teachers just like you. Today, I welcome Becky Laurent, affectionately known by most as Miss Becky. Becky did the math, although she claims that she doesn't do math, that we've known each other for nine years. We first met when we both worked for Joytunes, the developers of the powerhouse apps Piano Maestro and Simply Piano. Thanks to conferences, when they still happened in person, and social media, we've kept tabs on each other. At the Tanara Music Expo held in December, Becky gave an insightful presentation on dyslexia, and I knew I wanted to learn more from her. So thankfully, she agreed to be my guest on this Spotlight episode. And because I'm curious, there was another topic that I really wanted to discuss with Becky, and so we did. Becky, along with her children, have ADD. I wanted to know how she copes, and how has this diagnosis made just four years ago impacted her life? Becky didn't hold back. I got my answers, and I can't wait to share them with you. Since Becky is an expert in both fields, and since there was so much to cover, it was decided to divide our chat between two episodes. You won't want to miss either, but before we get started, here's more about Becky. Becky Laurent is president of her local music teachers association, social media chair for Texas MTA, president of Caprock Music Foundation, an author, teacher, director of a large music school in West Texas, manager of artists and teachers, business consultant, and music education specialist for JoyTunes. She's often a guest presenter for state, local, and national conferences, as well as a performer, event coordinator, head swim team parent, room mom, family mom, wife, and friend. Becky is also an advanced copy reader for some amazing authors and is a character in several bestsellers. She's often found popping in and out of Facebook groups at all hours of the day and night because she doesn't sleep. She speaks three languages fluently and is working on a fourth. Her superpower is ADHD. And now, here's Leela with Becky. Today, I have Miss Becky with me. Do we know you as anything but Miss Becky? I'm wondering, do you think? I don't think anybody knows me. I know. No. And, and you and I, thank you for reminding me, we've known each other for nine years. And we know that because your daughter, Millie, is now 13. And when we first knew each other, she was four. So that's amazing. And we're still both 29. So that's great. Uh huh. And so tell us, in a nutshell, what's been happening in those nine years? I know we've kind of already run through that with your wonderful bio. But What's interesting to me is where you've landed currently. So tell us how you are now doing what you're doing. Um, Okay. So the topic today is dyslexia, sort of, we're going to kind of jump around a little bit, Uh but, um, but you and I met when we were working for JoyTunes and uh, Piano Maestro and, and I still work for JoyTunes and Piano Maestro. So that's still part of my thing. I've always used technology in my classes, my private piano classes. I own a school. Um, I have five teachers that work with me and we, you know, we, we teach a lot. There's just a lot of stuff going on because I have a school. Um, I also, and this was 
I've been doing this since 93, I think since 1993. Um, wow. It sounds weird to say, I'm really old. I know. You are old. <laughs> but you're still I mean, 29. So that's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's good that, that mm-hmm. you said that. Yeah. Um, but so I started within my school, I've always done like daycare classes where I go to the daycares and I teach in daycares. So I've always worked with like little kids um, in group classes. And then I started working um, as a, at charter schools as a music teacher and still doing my private stuff and still managing big school. So it's just been, I mean, my career has, has kind of been as it is for most musicians. Um, you do what the work requires of you. Mm-hmm. So work whenever anybody says, Hey, do you want a job? You go. Um, So I've been teaching in, in public schools. I've been teaching privately. I teach group classes at my studio. I teach individuals at my studio. I teach daycare kids. Um, So that's ages two to five, which actually is my Uh, favorite age to teach. You need a special crown with extra jewels. I adore, adore the littles they're my favorite age to teach i would rather die than teach junior high again okay <laughs> um but and i mean you know it's def- definitely two different skill sets oh yeah um, and so one of the things that i do for my own personal growth is i pick a topic every year to study um and so one 3 years ago 3 years ago um the topic i chose was how do we learn And so that required a lot of like really getting my hands, not literally, but my hands into how the brain is set up and how, um, how things, how the different sections of the brain connect with each other and how that affects us as musicians. And then the next year I started, um, based on that, I thought, oh, well, it would be kind of cool to see, um, how, how people learn language because music is a language. So Mm -hmm. I thought, well, let's, let's this year, let's look at language learning, which led me to dyslexia because, um, because that's just a huge part of the research. That's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, Not just learning foreign languages, but learning to read and write and spell in English. And so um, I kind of took this little detour into dyslexia, not knowing that later that year, um, a lady that I'd met years and years ago uh, was opening a charter school for dyslexic kids. All of the children who go to this school, it's, it was the, there's only like five or six of them in the country. Um, and she was trying to get um, approved to be a charter school. So, and she, she really wanted the best education for these kids. So she included in the curriculum um, music classes, art classes, lots of PE, all of the things that are really good that, that, that doctors tell us are really good for dyslexic kids. She wanted to incorporate those really heavily into the curriculum. So far beyond just teaching them to read, but like actually addressing the whole child and the whole brain. Mm-hmm. And so um, she, she contacted me because I taught her daughters to play piano. And she said, um, I want to see if you would be interested in working for me as a, a general music teacher for my school for dyslexia. And I looked at her just kind of dumbfounded and said, are you kidding me? I've been studying this for the last year. And she said, hmm. no. And so, you know, we just kind of yeah. played off each other. And, um, and she gave me, literally gave me carte blanche to do 
and create whatever curriculum I thought was going to work for the kids. Um, and frankly, there there isn't any curriculum available out there mm. for kids who have dyslexia with regard to music, like that actually is directly correlating music training to the dyslexic mind. Um, and so I've had a lot of, uh, it's been very exciting to be able to combine those, those two fields. So the last, this, that last year and this year, um, that's really what, where my focus has been in, and this is, you know, this is just fun training, yeah. fun learning for me, but it has been amazing and so rewarding to see how it affects the kids. I may be putting you on the spot here, but do you know what the population, what part of the population is dyslexic or is considered um, dyslexic? According to the research persons, the scientist persons, which I am not a scientist person. Oh, okay. Oh, not even right. You don't do math either. I don't do math. I don't okay. do science. I count to four. That's it. I can <laughs> I can do fractions of four, but I okay, nothing. Okay, that's it. Yeah. Um. So. According to the statistics, one in five, mm. one in five of the population has dyslexia. Okay. And then you said that there are six schools in the nation right now that have. There's, there's five or six schools in the nation. Wow. Okay. So I think you all need to franchise yourself. And... Well, they're all in different places and it's a really difficult process to become a charter school, particularly yes. a charter school that is so narrowly focused. Right on um, kids with ADHD and dyslexia. And those, those kind of usually go together. Well, we can talk about that later, but, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's really a very difficult process to get um, a school and, and to find people who are, who are willing to, um, to do the work because it is a completely different mode of teaching. It, it, nothing prepares you for, um, what happens in the classroom when you have, you know, 22 kids who have dyslexia, <laughs> nothing prepares you for that. There's so many questions spinning around in my head. So let's start with the first one. Okay. First of all, can you give us the formal definition of dyslexia? I can, but I have to read it because it's lots okay. of words. Okay. okay. So um, according to the International Dyslexia Association, the definition is dyslexia is one of several distinct learning disabilities. It is a specific language-based disorder of constitutional origin characterized by difficulties in single word decoding, usually reflecting insufficient phonological processing ability. That's really, really important. We're going to come back to that. Okay. Um, these difficulties in single word decoding are often unexpected in relation to age and other cognitive and academic abilities. They are not the result of, de of generalized developmental disability or sensory impairment. Dyslexia is manifested by variable difficulty with different forms of language, often including, in addition to, problems with reading, a conspicuous problem with acquiring proficiency in writing and spelling. And most people think of dyslexia. When you say, I have dyslexia, the thought is that you flip words or you don't see, like you can't tell the difference between B and D um, or numbers kind of get jumbly. And, and that is not, at, that's not the only part of dyslexia that is a problem for people who have it. Um, that's, that's a minuscule part of hmm. it, which is what I discovered in my research in this field was that um, 
yeah, there's a visual component to it, but the greater problem for people with dyslexia is they, they don't hear, Hmm. they don't know how to listen. And that is where musicians can step into the, into the void and fix it. Um, And it's really, really cool to see when you start applying some of these things to kids and some of these teaching techniques to kids, you can actually see them um, learn to listen. And, And when I see that, I know that I am setting them up for greater success in school and greater success in reading, particularly in reading, because mm. it's not just that they 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 have trouble writing it; it's they have trouble hearing it. They just don't mm. hear. So, can you give us a concrete example? Because I I know all of us teachers have wondered, hmm, this child has some issues. What's going on here? So, can you give us a concrete example of what you mean by them being able to hear? Like, it sounds like a light bulb went on when you did something in your classroom. Can you give us an example of that? Yes. Okay, cool. So, um, you are teaching your lesson, your music lesson with your kid, and um, and they they play the same note over and over and over and over. And you're looking at the music with them, okay? Usually you're pointing too. And the music clearly goes C, G, high C. It it goes from low to high. There's no way that you can look at that as a human person and not see that the little bubble starts low and then it gets higher and then it gets higher again. And what the child does is the child plays C, 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 middle C, middle C, middle C. They don't see that it went up and they don't hear that it went up. Another way that you'll see, you'll um, realize this is you'll play something for them and you'll ask them to say, to tell you whether these two notes go higher or lower and they can't do it or they Hmm. stay the same. Kids cannot do it. They, They look at you and they just kind of guess. Um, and, and these are, these are kids who, who they can't hear. You'll play, um, like a, you'll play an interval and you'll say, is this a fifth or is this, um, a third? And they're like, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> no. And you, you just kind of sit back stunned and say, um, Okay, go to the bathroom. But when you come back, we still have to do this. Right. Mm-hmm. You, what you see, what I see now um, as an educator is when I ask them to do some of these tasks that involve hearing, um, they divert and distract like a pro parent. Oh, and they okay. divert and distract because they don't know what you're asking them and they don't hear it anyway. So let's stop there just for a second, because we all have students in our studio who can't hear, you know, and they can't discriminate the the way we think they should. And then some get it immediately. But what you're saying is that we can usually train people to hear and discriminate things. And you're saying that these kids just never are able to do that unless they're given the right way to listen. No, they totally can do it. Um, but you as an educator have to make a concerted effort to do it. Okay. And that is where 
Um, it has to be a it has to be a regular part of your lesson. It has to be a regular, especially if you ask a parent, you know, does your child have any learning um, issues that I need to be aware of? And they say, yes, my child is, has dyslexia. As soon as you hear that, you need to change the way you approach music with that child because you should go into it knowing that they, the connections in their brains um, that focus on literacy, language, and listening, all of those are not connected very well. And you can teach them. It's not easy. It's not fast. But you can teach them to build those connections between that part of their that in, those sections in their brain, and and make them better at being able to listen. And that's that's what's been so exciting about what um, what I've been doing with kids with dyslexia is I'm I am deliberately focusing and compartmentalizing the different parts of hearing and listening with the kids. Um, I'm, I'm separating those out and not making it a whole, like we're going to read a piece of music today and you have to do all of these skills at once. I'm really breaking it up and making it so that we're concentrating on really listening to specific parts of music. And then we put it together. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that has been just incredibly rewarding. Hey, Leela here, popping in for a quick break from my chat with Becky because I'm curious. I'd like to pick your brain about how your relationship with technology is coming along since the pandemic hit. It sounds like most piano teachers have pivoted to online lessons with success, but have you made friends with the array of tech tools that will help you pivot and teach with more confidence? I have some favorite tools that I could not teach without online or in person. And I'd be happy to equip you with the right skills so you too can enjoy the benefits of technology without being a slave to it. If my question piques your interest, please head to the show notes for this episode with Becky at leelavis.com slash key ideas and complete a short survey. Your answers will help me to determine if there's a need for a course called Basic Tech Training for Piano Teachers. It will only take a few minutes and I greatly appreciate your input. Okay, now back to Miss Becky. I want to talk about two things, and I think let's keep going with this one, but I also want to talk about parents because I think that's a whole interesting hmm, issue as well because some parents do not know that their child is suffering from this. So that's interesting that you have a school. So there are parents that are supportive of this school, number one, but also know that their children have dyslexia. And there's there's a standardized test then that helps mm -hmm. parents know if their child is suffering from this. And yes. are they suffering? You know, I don't know if I like that word suffering. They're experiencing a different way of coping with life. Maybe they, 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 It's definitely an experience. And, okay. and yeah. I wouldn't shy away from the word suffering because okay. it, it is... Um, it is painful for them mm -hmm. to, to have this because they don't feel normal. Mm. They don't feel like they fit in anywhere. And um, you can identify kids who have dyslexia very early in life, like two, three, four years old. You can, you can start to identify kids who have a propensity towards dyslexia at that age, which I was shocked that mm. 
before they can even read or write, you can um, you can see indicators of their their processing ability. Can you give oh, us? Yes. Can you give us an example of an indicator? Yes. Um, so when kids are little, um, we teach them to rhyme. We spend the whole first five years of their lives reading them poetry and singing. Mary had a little lamb and teaching them to listen to or to sing um, rhymes and, and poetry. You know, that the night before Christmas, everybody knows this. Um, at age two, three, and four, if you ask them to rhyme words for you and they can't do it, that's a big indicator. Mm. Um, another big indicator is call and response. If you, and I do this with my littles in my, in my preschool classes, I'll clap a rhythm. I'll, I'll go. The kids who can't do that back at me at ages two, three, and four, especially at three and four, um, I mentally earmark those kids to watch for other indicators of whether or not they have dyslexia. Now, I'm not a doctor. Mm -hmm. I'm not a diagnostician. So this is just from my own um, personal knowledge as to how to teach this child. Um, because, you know, I have goals that I want them to learn in their class. And I need to make sure that the information that I give them actually penetrates the brain and actually works. Um, but if I'm noticing these things in, a, in my, with my little, with my littles, I will bring it to the teacher and I will tell the, the teacher in the preschool, Hey, listen, I am noticing some things with this child. Um, I need for you to know, to know that that's what I'm seeing and for you to be on the, the lookout for any other indicators that might show that this child has um, dyslexia or may have dyslexia as he gets older. Um, it may start to show more. And, and that's all I can do. I mean, really, that is all that I can do. I'm not a, not a diagnostician. So well, and none of us are, but we all can sense when students are struggling with something. You can, you can totally see it. And, yes. it. and once you know, I think you can change the way that you teach to help build them. Because by the time they get to third grade, third and fourth grade, which is where dyslexia really starts to show third and fourth grade, they're already depressed. They mm -hmm. already feel alienated. They mm -hmm. already feel sad. They already feel bad about themselves. They already feel like they're behind. And, and then you have more to build. You know, you have more that you right. have to help them self esteem put together mm -hmm. again so that they're willing to learn and they're willing to engage in education and see how much fun it is. And so my goal is to, um, minimize that as much as possible between the ages of two and five. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That makes so much sense. And what I'm thinking of, I, I was thinking about one of our sons. I remember when he first started reading, I don't think he put two and two together that, okay, you read and you comprehend what you read. Like he wasn't aware that those two things went together. So mm -hmm. it sounds like once you sense that a student is struggling, it's letting them become aware of what parts of the brain they have to use again or find or am I and, on the right track here? Yeah, no, no, no. And what's great about um, you, the teacher, kind of understanding how the brain works and, and how they are processing information, mm -hmm. um, you can explain it to them 
in those terms. Yeah. Like I talk to my dyslexic kids in class and I say to them, okay, so today we're going to do some brain building exercises. Um, I need you to understand that. And, and I'll point to, cause I have it on my board uh-huh. <laughs> I'll point to their brain and say, we're going to, we're going to connect this part of the brain, this part of the brain and that part of the brain. And we're going to do this exercise. And I need you guys to really focus because if you, if you can do this, we're going to make your brain stronger. Oh. And, and, and just by laying it out there and telling them that that's what you're doing, you get buy-in because they want yeah. to be better. You know, they do, they want to be better. They want mm-hmm. to be smart, but you have to give them a reason to do that. They <laughs> want to know why. Yes. Yeah, explaining yeah. it to them. Okay. So this is what we're going to do. And this is how it's going to help you. Um, has, has really made a huge difference in how I teach. But that's going to be amazing for them for the rest of their life. They're going to be able to cope because they're going to be saying, oh, wait a minute, my brain's not functioning like it should. I got to connect the dots or whatever. So you're giving them so many life skills. Wow. Okay. I want to go to Miss Becky school. So now, <laughs> now we are really, really curious because what are you doing to connect those different parts of the brain? Can you give us an example? I can, um, but before I do that, okay. I, I want to give you, there's a list of like 13 things for Uh-oh. you to look at. I, yeah, <laughs> We're going to have to make that available or something. Can we do that? Can we make yeah, that? I, yes. I, okay. I will send you a PDF Good. because you guys can, um, okay. so everybody can see it. So the characteristics, um, there's 13. The first one is difficulty in learning, learning, learning to read, write, spell, and do math. Okay. Difficulty learning it. Learning. Not that they, they can't do it. Um, because like one of my, excuse me, one of my daughter's best friends has dyslexia and he can tell you every dinosaur that has ever, ever yeah. walked the face of the earth. It's not that he can't retain information or learn things. Mm-hmm. He just can't read, write, or spell. <laughs> he just can't do that. Um, they have difficulty in following oral and written instructions. And if you think about music education, what what else is it but yeah. oral and written instruction? Correct. Yeah. Um, they usually have squished, um, illegible handwriting. <laughs> my kids, oh my gosh, my kids' handwriting is terrible. Um, and my kids have ADHD. They don't have dyslexia. But I think the reason they don't have dyslexia is because they were trained musicians from infancy. Um, uh-huh. And I, I'm pretty sure that's why I don't have dyslexia because I learned to listen as a child. Um, Number four, they can't stay on task. Number five, they are easily distracted. Um, Number six, they have an inability to sequence or they have confusion in sequencing. They just can't see order. And that's usually what people think about when they, when you talk about dyslexia, like they can't B and D aren't the same or are, are the same or, um, 16 and 61 look the same to them. That's usually how people perceive dyslexia, but it, and you won't as a piano teacher, unless you know the family really well, um, there's usually a delayed spoken language um, in the child's development. They have difficulty as a teacher. You'll see, you'll hear this one. You will totally hear this one. They have difficulty with spatial and time directions. Okay, so up and down, mm -mm, no, left and right. These are the kids who doesn't matter how many times you tell them treble clef is your right hand, bass clef is your left hand, they don't get it. You start over every single week. 
um, they don't, they're, they're not able to differentiate between yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So they'll tell you, they'll be telling you a story and they'll say, so tomorrow we're going to blah, 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 blah. But then the parents will say, no, we did that three weeks ago. And, and you sit there and you go, okay. And you just think it's a funny story, right? That they just don't perceive time, but that's, that is an indicator of somebody who has dyslexia. Mm. Um, Number nine, they're easily frustrated and they, the frustration escalates very quickly. Okay. Again, something we see as teachers all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, They have difficulty retaining information. Again, these are the kids who you feel like you start over every single Mm -hmm. and you are like, oh my gosh, we've been working on the same piece. I swear for six months. When are you going to learn it? It's, it's not, it's not intentional. They're not trying to not learn. They, we have not given them the tools to build the brain for them to remember yet. Um, They get extreme anxiety during tests. That's the, this is now, this is the formal characteristics of dyslexia for reading. Um, But when I think about this in terms of music, every single lesson is a test. Every single piece that we put in front of them to sight read, whether it's an exercise or a piece of music, a piece of repertoire, you, that's a test for those kids. And they know it. They know that you're testing them. So they freak out and they shut down and they have extreme anxiety and they have to go to the bathroom again. Um, they have extreme energy levels. So they're either really the lethargic they don't want to do anything or you can't keep them on the bench for nothing. They, they're jumping around all over the place. They just won't sit still. Um, and then, and this one is you'll, as soon as I say this, you will look at your kit, your student body and you will say, Oh my God. <laughs> um, they are immature for their physical age. They look 13. They act eight. Hmm. I am 50. I act 12. Um, that, that me personally, <laughs> I act, I am actually 50 years old, but basically I'm 12. And, and, and that immaturity is part of their, their brain um, and the way that it has developed. So you are saying to yourself, listen, you're 13 years old. You should be able to practice on your own. You should be able to remember that you have to do you know, your technique book, your lesson book, your performance book, and your music theory. And you should be able to bring those in here and stop waiting, waiting for your parents to do this for you. Mm-hmm. You're old enough to do this. They're not. They're really, their brain is not mature enough to do these things. And so when you say that, you're making them feel bad again. Correct. And they are going to shut down, which then shuts down the rest of your lesson. and You're not going to get anything out of them. So some of the things that I have had to learn to do with my students now knowing these things um, is that I don't generally start with them looking at um, a piece of music that I'm trying to teach. We don't start there. Um, when they come in now, one of the things that we haven't really talked about is the what what I started to do because um I was so interested in this Orton Gillingham uh, or because I was so interested in how we learn language and then kind of rabbit trail down to dyslexia and then discovered that, um, you know, there's 
parts of the dyslexic brain that music can definitely build and enhance. Um, I wanted to find a way to, to shortcut, like try to figure out how do dyslexic people learn to read? How do they, how do they overcome this? Because they do, you see it all the time. People, Mm -hmm. Goldberg is dyslexic and you know, she's famous and she's got a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, so people, people overcome this, you know? And so I, I started looking at the different reading programs that are available to people who have dyslexia uh, and found Orton Gillingham as is the, is the one that most people who have dyslexia wind up in therapy with. And, and so I signed up for the training. Um, so I'm a certified Orton Gillingham reading teacher but I don't want to teach reading. I, mm-hmm. I don't want to teach reading. I wanted to, to, to bend what I learned in the training to um, a musical focus. And, and I was stunned at how easily they overlapped and how easily they overlay each other um, and how easy it is for us as musicians to, to teach kids um, to read music and to learn to listen. Uh, which can totally enhances their ability to learn to read, even Mm. if they're not in therapy. They start putting these pieces together. Mm. So one of the things that we do with my known dyslexic kids is I have these these little character, they're wood characters, I have them on magnets. And usually these are like things that you put, um, I get them from Hobby Lobby and they're like, ballerinas and um and stars and puppies and you know um things that you they're made out of wood and you put them you use them to decorate with okay so these are they're like 3d images and one of the things that um the orton gillingham method of teaching kids to read is it has to be multi-sensory okay you can't just make them listen and expect them to learn. You can't just hand them something to um, to touch and expect them to learn with that. You have to engage all of the, the senses to, to teach them something and to activate all the parts of their brain. So I have these little, these little wooden medallion shaped, I mean, these little wooden character shape things. I have them on magnets and I throw them up on the magnet board and I say to them, okay, so what do you see? And they'll look at me and they'll say, okay, so that's a tree. Okay, cool. Um, so I'll put up a, like a tree and a microscope and flip-flops. Okay. Tree, microscope, flip-flops. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll say to them, okay, I need you to say the words. So they'll say the word tree, microscope, flip-flop. And then I'll say, I need you to clap the sounds you hear in flip-flop. So they clap, flip-flop. Now, what's important here for a dyslexic person is they have to hear the word come out of their mouth, and they have to hear how it matches the sound of the clap, because it's a short sound, flip-flop. By the time the the clap has ended so has the word mm. okay so 
I know there's lots and lots of people out there who use um, words like Kit Kat to teach rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is, this is like that only on steroids. So this okay. is what you're doing is great for these kids, but you're going to need to like reevaluate some of the ways that you use um, rhythm to dictate what they're hearing. So flip flop would not be eighth notes. It would be quarter notes because flip and flop are two different words. Flip, flop. Okay. They end. Um, something like, um, oh, let me think there's some, I'm going to go blank here. Well, what is microscope? Is microscope. Okay. okay so microscope, microscope would be, now, again, we're teaching them to divide syllables out in mm-hmm. English. Remember when you did that when you were mm-hmm. in first grade? Oh, yeah. We don't, we don't do that as much anymore now. Um, so these kids don't hear the, like the whole word. Right. They don't hear the parts of the word. They hear only the whole world word. So I will say clap out microscope and they will go microscope. Oh, okay. So microscope is three eighth notes. I, I have had this fight with other piano, piano teachers. Okay, right. <laughs> yeah. They're like, no, it's three quarter notes. It's not three quarter notes because three quarter notes indicates that it's a a word per syllable and this is a whole word so microscope is more of a triplet than it is um i mean you could do a triplet or you could do six eight time if you're doing Mm -hmm. that or you can do four um four eighth notes but the last one is quiet microscope because there's a little there's a little on the end that kind of pops and then the word ends So what I notice is that you're saying the word, you're clapping it, and they're hearing themselves clap. So there's kind of three things going on. And they're they're saying the word too. So they're Mm -hmm. hearing themselves say the word. Okay, so they hear it, right. Yes, okay. And match it with an an action. So then we get to the word tree. And I say, okay, so clap tree, tree. And they're like, but there's more sound happening after my clap ends. Yes. Yes. Now we are listening. Now we are hearing language Mm. as music. So tree, because of the way it's written and the way we hear it is actually a half note tree. Mm -hmm. You have to finish Mm -hmm. the word and to finish the word, you have to write down what symbol we use to make the sound longer, to hmm. make it last. Tree. We do this with, I do this with them for about five minutes. We do a whole bunch of them. Um, I have them clap and say, and then they have to write it out as a music symbol. I am not interested in teaching them how to read. Somebody okay, else so, can teach you how to yeah, read. So you're not spelling any of the words then? No, we don't spell okay. any of the words, but we do spell them in music because that is spell where they're going to make that uh. connection with how long is the sound supposed to be? Mm-hmm. When I show them a piece of music, whether it's Mary Had a Little Lamb or Yankee Doodle or whatever, 
And they sing the song, Mary had a little lamb. Now that makes sense to them because they are hearing that lamb has to last longer. Hmm. And they are looking for that symbol on in the music. Okay, so um, we start each class. And the other thing that, that uh, Orton Gillingham's philosophy is it has to be a super structured lesson. You cannot deviate from that structure ever. You always do these things in the same order all the time. No exception. Um, so we spend, you know, five minutes doing rhythm uh, and listening. And then we'll, we'll review the stuff that we did the week before um, in terms of music that they are playing. Way shorter. What, whatever music you think you were giving this, these kids, Break it down to two measures because mm-hmm. that that is that's all you can do right now. Can, can we stop just a minute? Because what do you yeah. think they see when they look at the grand staff? You know, with some quarter notes and half notes. Break it down because that is overwhelming. That is like looking at an encyclopedia and and you saying to them, "We're going to read all of that today." Yeah. Okay. That is an automatic shutdown. They are mm-hmm. not going to go. They're not going to want to put in the effort because they know that you're going to ask them to do all of that today and they just don't have bandwidth for it. Well, and don't you have a clever way of having them see lines and spaces and that they go higher and lower? I, I, I believe you have a cool tool for that. I do when I, um, now this, this is evolved from the fact that I teach, you know, 22 kids with ADHD and dyslexia in a classroom. Um, I, I'm not even going to tell you how much energy is required <laughs> to, to teach a classroom full of kids with dyslexia. And how many Red Bulls does uh, Miss Becky have before or after or during? Well, thankfully, I have ADHD, so I'm okay with this. But the first year that we taught, um, we had five kindergarten teachers start and quit because <laughs> they 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 would come out of their classroom and they would go how am I supposed to keep up with these kids? Yeah. And I was like, dude, seriously, did you not sign a contract that says this is an ADHD school? <laughs> I mean, did you, did you miss the part where it says that everybody here has ADHD and they can't sit still? Did you, did you miss that? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, you have to have a lot of energy to teach these kids. You yes. really do have a lot of energy to teach these kids. But um, one of the, so you have to be very, very, very structured, like very structured. And you have to make sure that you give them just little bits because the other part of teaching someone with dyslexia that is, is critical is that before you add something new, you need to relate it to what they already know. You can't just expect them to connect the dots from something that they did three months ago or even two weeks ago. it ha- Whatever you're doing has to connect to what they're looking at, um, which is why I love Samantha Coates. Um, she does the, the rote blitz, rote right. learning. The rote um, repertoire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love, love, love this for my kids who have dyslexia because mm-hmm. um, they can see the music in the first stage, and then they can point out the differences in the second stage and the third stage. 
And it gives them, you know, a point of reference as we move through um, the piece. So I totally love, love, love that because they, they need, when you, when you, when you say, okay, so this note is on a line, the note next to it is, is it on a line or in a space? And they have to work their way through that. Is it, does the line go through the middle or does it sit between the two lines? Mm-hmm. This is a visual thing. Um, not unlike flipping the B and the D that you really have to slow down and let them work through it. You have to pull that apart from expecting them to be able to do it quickly. They're not going to be able to do it quickly. They're going to get frustrated. They're not going to be able to do it quickly. So it sounds like they have a hard time discriminating between things that are similar. And then it also sounds like it's interesting that you use Sam Coates uh, repertoire because I feel like it's a neat way to show how musicians really treat the grand staff like a blueprint. We are not reading every dot. We kind of see it all and we go for it. And then we, oh, there's something different. So how do they spot the difference then from one level to the next? Well, you, I have to put them like right next to each okay. other and uh-huh. I have to show them um, measure by measure whether and, and have them tell me, okay, are they exactly the same or is there something a little bit different and, and let them point it out to me. And then I usually let them circle it or highlight it mm, so okay. that they, um, that it, it makes an impression on them. I want them to do the action because again, multisensory. Now we've seen it. Now I'm going to draw a circle around it and then we're going to hear it. And then I'm going to let them do it. So we're going to cover all of the senses um, before, before they leave the class. Now, as piano teachers, we expect our students to progress in 30 minutes. Right. <laughs> you got to put that oh, one away. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, you got to put that one away. All right. We're looking for teeny tiny. Mm-hmm steps forward that's what we're looking for and and you you really need to build them um to build them without any preconceived ideas of what you think they should do hi everyone i'm drew collins and i produce key ideas for leela we hope you've enjoyed part one of her conversation with becky Be sure to catch part two by clicking subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. And help Leela get the word out by rating and reviewing key ideas. We appreciate your feedback, and thanks for listening. Before you go, here's a quote from an Oscar-winning actor. As a boy, I wasn't very bright. I didn't even know the time of day I was in school. I think I had dyslexia or some learning disability. I certainly didn't fit in anywhere. The years passed and a feeling of failure was always with me until by accident I came across this career and look at what has happened. Of course, I don't regret anything because in the long run, look what I've accomplished. Sir Anthony Hopkins. Stay tuned for more from Miss Becky and until then, see you in the trenches.